Haley Salvian, in your time covering hockey so far, who have been three of the most interesting, thoughtful, or candid interview subjects? Mm -hmm. uh, first, I'm going to have to say Mark Borowiecki uh, from the Ottawa Senators, now with the Nashville Predators. Then I'm going to go with Bobby Ryan, also used to be with the Ottawa Senators. Um, an honorable mention here, I was thinking about Ron Hainsey just because he's so interesting and you never know what you were going to get with Ron Hainsey. But I recently did a piece on Jen Botterill and she was probably one of the most introspective, thoughtful. Um, I could have talked to her for hours. So I'm going to boot Ron Hainsey out and give my third spot to Jen Botterill. That was a really uh, great choice, and I hope to have Jen on our show sometime. You're listening to the Hockey Press Pass podcast presented by Instat Hockey. Our guest is Hallie Salvian, who in brief time has emerged as one of the top beat reporters in the NHL. After one season covering the Ottawa Senators for The Athletic, she moved west last season to take over the Calgary Flames beat. So, Hallie, let's talk briefly about writing for The Athletic. It's not like writing for a new newspaper do you know i've always wondered do the editors there kind of give you specific direction on how they want you to handle a beat and when you approach a season each of your seasons doing this do you have a, a goal a style something you hope to bring to the readers for the course of in this case the flame season mm -hmm. well first thank you for having me and for the introduction um those who know me know that that probably made me feel really uncomfortable because I don't compliment well. So you could probably see me uh, squirming a bit when you said one of the top beat reporters, but thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, in terms of working for The Athletic, and and certainly it is a unique publication to, to work for, and I, I think that it's not so much that we have editors telling us this is the way that you need to write. Um, I think it kind of just comes naturally with the buy-in for the company for me. And, and surely I'm, I'm sure it's different for some people. Maybe those who came from a, a strict newspaper background had an adjustment and perhaps they have an editor telling them, Hey, this is maybe a bit too newspapery. Let's try to make it a little bit different. Um, but certainly I kind of came into the company fairly early and I was a subscriber before I joined the athletics. So I was very familiar with the fact that this was a different publication. You know, it's a, it's a paywall. So we've got to give people something that they can't get anywhere else. And so I think it just kind of forces you to put it on yourself to be creative and think differently and think outside the box. And I think for me, I'm such a fan of the game of hockey that I'm always reading everything and so you can kind of see what's already out there in the market and you can kind of mentally take note of okay this is what is being covered and this is how it's being done in a specific market and here's the opening or the avenues that I can kind of take my coverage and, and make the subscription fee worth it for subscribers so I think at least for me um, it's just kind of internal and it comes with the buy-in because I do believe in what the athletics doing. I do think that we have great reporters doing great coverage. And that's not to say that newspapers aren't doing different coverage. It, it's just the nature of a different business model. Um, and so for me, when I'm looking at goals for the season, um, specifically with the flames, it's unique, right? Because I still kind of consider myself a, a rookie in the NHL because I haven't actually covered a real normal NHL season yet. So my approach this year was very different to my approach 
uh, last year in Ottawa in the sense that it was my first year on a beat going into a, a market like Ottawa where it's a rebuild and it's okay, let's focus on the prospects and maybe the the results aren't top of mind. So if the if the Senators lose a couple games, that's not great, but it's fine because we all expected this and this was going to happen. So let's focus on who's in the system. Look at what Josh Norris is doing in Belleville. Look at what Logan Brown's doing. Look at who could, who could they draft uh, eight months from now? Because that's something that people care about in Ottawa. Whereas coming into the flames this year, knowing that I wouldn't have locker room access, knowing that I was brand new on a beat and I was just going to be like a voice on a zoom call. It was very daunting and, and difficult to set proper goals for, for coverage for the season, just because it was like, let's go and just do the best that we can with what we have and just kind of lay the foundation for what could come this year. And so I think this year uh, I've set loftier goals for myself and just, you know, let's try to do more of the things that were lost this year. Let's try to do more feature stories. Let's try to bring more stuff to the table that you can't get anywhere else. Prior to coming to the athletic, Haley, you had a really a great wide array of experience uh, through college, <laughs> through internships. One of those was an internship with, with CBC, and you interned in the news division. Now, it would seem to me that that would be a really great way to learn about how to be a reporter and, and, <laughs> and in a lot of ways prepare you really well for the hockey beat. Is that what happened? And, and do you still use those lessons learned from that internship? For sure. I, I think that when I was first starting out, a lot of people would always kind of question me, like you say you want to work in sports, but why are you working in news? And, and I always kind of said to them, like, you know, it's, there's so many things that are transferable when you're working in news. And I think coming into sports with a more strict journalism background, because as well, I I studied a, as a Bachelor of Journalism program. I didn't go to a sports-specific um, program. I didn't go to, like, sports broadcasting school or sports reporting school. I did a Bachelor of Journalism, and I did radio, and I did TV, and I did feature, and I did print, and I did news. And, and I kind of always – it was drilled into me in school that you should try to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And, you know, the more well-versed you can be and the more well-rounded you can be, the more successful you're going to be in this industry. Um, just because in university, we all kind of knew, you know, the time of just doing one thing is over. You've got to know how to do different, different mediums. And so I kind of took that approach in the sense of knowing how to do different beats and working in news was great because there's just so many little details that I think have really helped me. It's little things like knowing how to ask a good question. Um, a police officer <laughs> is like a, in its corp comm. So it's corporate communication. So it's not a uniformed officer, but if you're, if you ask a, the corporate communications officer with the Toronto police service, a bad question, he's going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm too busy. And he's going to hang up the phone. Um, so it's little things like that. You know, asking good questions is a transferable skill in any, anything that you're doing in journalism. So you kind of take that experience of asking the the Toronto police service a bad question and they're too busy and they hang up on you and you take it into an NHL locker room and you say, okay, how can I ask this question in a way that I'm going to get a good response and I'm not going to get looked at like I have three heads. I definitely credit a lot of my time working in news to some of the skills that I think are, you know, pretty good in my toolkit. Um, Cause I did work in radio and TV on air as well. And that's really helped me with doing radio and doing podcasts and doing TV hits and stuff. Like it's just, 
I, I, I'm always very grateful of all the experiences I had at CBC. And, and I know that they were really happy for me when I got hired at the athletic, cause they all knew that this is what I always wanted to do. So it was a really good starting point for my career. And it's a great lesson to the young people who <laughs> want to do this. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. Let's touch briefly on two of the skills that, that you learned there and your other jobs and, and uh, currently at The Athletic. And let's go back to interviewing. So if you were to think of like two or three uh, suggestions to people on what you believe makes a, for a good interview, for good questions, what would those be, Haley? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is just doing your research. Um, you know, if imagine, you know, going, I'm just thinking of the flames, you know, going to Daryl Sutter and asking him something uh, and you didn't do your research, you know, asking, I'm trying to think like. It would be like if I had you, if I, like if I had you on yeah. and, and didn't, you know, look yeah. up where you went to school and things like that. Yeah. If you said, you know, Haley, you're asking me on, on this podcast, where did you go to university? Like. And of course, I would still answer the question. I would say I went to Ryerson, but I think um, showing that you've done your research and you've done the work is always a really important piece of that because you never want to ask something um, that you're that you could have just Googled, like basic facts. Because if you only have ten questions or you only have three minutes with someone, don't waste that time on something that is <laughs> public knowledge. Um, I think never asking yes or no questions. Just don't don't do it. I, I think there are times where you can, or, you know, sometimes it's in the, the heat of a scrum or you need to get something out and it ends up being a, a yes or no question. But I always try to steer clear of that because, you know, interviews are always best when it's a conversation. And if you're just getting one word answers, you know, it's really hard to do something with that. It's really hard to write a story when Daryl Sutter is just saying no. Um, so you always want to try to get a bit more from people. Um, one thing I learned from my sports reporting professor and he was great and he actually was quite pivotal in me getting a job at the athletic Sean Fitzgerald. He, uh, he kind of drilled it in our heads. Never start a question with, tell me about this. And now when I hear it all the time, it drives me crazy. Cause like, I just hear Sean saying like, don't do it like that's lazy, like form a proper question. Like nothing upsets me more than hearing someone say, tell me about the power play. Okay. Well, what about it? Yeah. Because it's not, ask, it's not their, it's ask, not their job. Yeah. It's not their job to just yeah. tell you about it. That's one where I didn't mind when Tortorella would be annoyed at, right? Because it's not his job mm -hmm. to ask a specific question about it. I get it. I mm -hmm. had no idea if Fitzgerald was your uh, professor. So I clearly did not yeah. do uh, my research. I will, no. make, <laughs> I will make sure to not ask a tell me a uh, question, but I did want to ask about sources. And when we talk about sources, Haley, I don't just mean anonymous sources for scoops, but even just people mm -hmm. who you'd want to call to get an opinion on, on something or to fill you in, or even when you started mm -hmm. at the centers and then you start at the flames. Like I know um, when PR people say uh, succeed me in a job, I try to turn over within reason as much as I can, phone numbers, names, suggestions. Did you have help? And also without in the places where you didn't have help, how do you start to accumulate that network? Yeah, it's a really good question because I think it's such a, like, it's a difficult skill and it's such an important one, um, especially when you're working at a place like The Athletic, because 
some of the ways that you can differentiate yourself is having scoops or just having little nuggets of information that kind of push your story a little bit forward. We can all say that Johnny Goudreau, uh, you know, doesn't, you know, he, he has this no modified, no trade clause coming in. He doesn't have a contract after 2022. We can all say that cause it's public knowledge, but what can you get from somebody that can push that ahead a little bit or make it a little bit different. And I think finding little things like that is so crucial. And I think a big part of it is just, um, and this isn't really, doesn't really have to do with getting off the record sources, but just having people talk to you. I think it's just talking to people and being um, proactive um, in your approach, it's, it's building relationships. That's like such an important part of this job is building relationships with people. It's, um, you know, you worked in, in PR and, and I went to you all the time for interview requests. Um, but I think you could also attest to the fact that I would just text and say, cool signing. Hope you're, hope you're doing well. Uh, have a good summer, good season. Like it's, it's little things and I'm not doing those things to you in the hopes that you're going to give me an exclusive interview. Um, it's just doing them because I'm a human being and you are a human being and you're just building relationships with people. And, and it's so important. And, and I think sometimes we can get so caught in this transactional approach. Okay. If I text Chris Botta today, maybe he'll give me an interview with somebody in the NWHL tomorrow, or if I text this agent, um, maybe he will give me a little scoop on his client. Um, that's thinking of it as a transaction instead of thinking of it as building a relationship with a human being. And I think that's, it's really important. I think there's a line that you have to kind of balance. You don't want to be texting people saying like, Hey, what's up when like they're very busy people. Um, but you also don't want to only be talking to people when you need something, because that becomes very, you know, people can see through that. It's like, Oh, here's Haley again. Cause she wants to get a little scoop at the athletic. Um, so I think I try to really balance being professional, but also just being a you know, building those relationships and just treating everyone like a, a person. It's great, great advice. And it goes both ways. PR people check in with you because sometimes we need you too. You checking mm -hmm. in with us as a reminder, you're there and interested if you, if we have something for you. So yeah. you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, one thing, and, and I do want to point out to the listeners here, uh, when I reached out to you about this podcast and, and, and wanting you to be one of my first guests, uh, and then giving you an idea of the kind of things I wanted to talk about, you were incredibly uh, gracious and in, in saying, look, you, you could ask me anything. I, you know, we, you've seen a lot that I've seen, uh, we've talked. So, so I, I do thank you for that. Cause I think, you know, I believe a lot of good can come from it. And, and one mm -hmm. aspect of it is certainly social media. You, you've joined these beats and the athletic at a, at a time where uh, things can be tough on social media. Yeah. And uh, you've endured uh, your share. Uh, you've handled it beautifully. In a lot of cases, I think we, we want to say that the support has been awesome. But you've also seen uh, the dark side of it. And, you know, I, I guess I'll go right to the, the toughest one. At one point, uh, there was just a complete ass clown who accused you <laughs> of, and I got it, I write it down, he accused you of faking gender discrimination. Um, mm -hmm. And so how did you, I mean, I guess I have to ask, you know, what did that feel like, at least immediately? And then mm -hmm. how did you handle it? And what would be 
your advice to the next person who has to endure that kind of crap. Yeah, that was probably one of the more difficult things that I've went through because look like we all get snide comments. I get comments on stories all the time. I comically I've, you know, I got my start in uh, Oshawa. I was an arena host for the generals for a couple seasons and it was such a fun job. I, I met my best friend there. I've met some great people in Oshawa and um, I, I had this one troll. <laughs> he would comment on all my stories. He would tweet me all the time and just say like, go back to Oshawa. Like you suck. <laughs> and it was just like, okay, thanks. Thank you. I enjoyed my time in Oshawa. I don't know why you're saying that a job I had when I was 19 years old is an insult. I was in university, like doing something fun layoff. So certainly we all deal with stuff like that. And, and it's just unfortunately something that comes with the territory of being somewhat of a public figure is that people think that they have, you know, the right to tell you that you suck um, on a semi-regular basis. And I will say that I, you know, I, I feel like I don't have it as bad as some people. Um, you know, I tend to have a lot of support and I'm so appreciative of the people who like the way that I do the job or they like my writing or they like my stupid memes on social media. But certainly what happened with the faking gender discrimination was like the hardest thing that I've been through since, I mean, in my professional career for sure. Um, and it kind of stemmed from uh, the senators signed Josh Brown and I tweeted like sends or they traded for Josh Brown. And I said, you know, the, the sense of Brown and Josh Brown, he's a whatever shot defenseman, he's a restricted free agent. You know, they can control the term here, uh, played for DJ Smith in Oshawa. And I got a seven paragraph DM just telling me your questions are stupid. What's the point here? You're such an idiot. You suck at this. Like, like I'm so sick of, of you and everything that you say, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I just tweeted the news release and, and you're just like, this venomous message I got and probably against my better judgment. Cause I try not to say these kinds of things on Twitter because I know the kind of reaction it's going to get. I screenshotted the seven paragraphs and said, you know, just another day in the life as a female in hockey, because I did send that message to probably four or five of the male reporters who had tweeted the exact same thing as me. And I said, did you get something like this too? Because all I said is they signed Josh Brown and they were all kind of like, no, that's ridiculous. Like I've never gotten something like that. And, and so I made that tweet and a lot right away, a lot of the replies were either saying like, I'm so sorry, you have to deal with this. Like we support you. And the others were like, he didn't say anything about you being a woman. He just says you suck. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm too busy for this. It's free agency. It's the draft. I'm going to delete this tweet. And I guess um, the, the folks at Dean Blundell had already seen the tweet before it got pulled down. And and they they took the stance that it was, you know, you didn't, or he didn't say anything about you being a female. He just said, you suck. So why are you crying gender discrimination? And it was this, this real attack on, um, you know, me faking this. And I kind of became the poster child of, of women in media crying foul when, you know, oh, we can't criticize a woman just because she's a woman. And it was, um, I didn't ask to be put in that spotlight. Um, and obviously that's why I deleted the tweet because I saw the kind of reaction it was getting. And I, and I just, nobody needs that for their mental health to have everyone tell you that you're wrong and you're dumb. Yeah. Um, so when that came out, um, I was in Ottawa at the time 
And I actually didn't see the story when it was initially posted. I didn't see the tweets. Um, we have a really great social media team here at The Athletic that I've worked with for a lot of the stuff that we do, our live streams and such. And, and they actually alerted me to it and said, we saw this. Are you okay? Do you want us to flag it? What do you want us to do? And I was like, I, I didn't see this. And I immediately packed up my stuff and I drove home to Toronto because I was alone in my apartment in Ottawa. And I was oh. like, I nope. <laughs> I read the story um, and I just like drove home. So I was like, I can't deal with this by myself. Um, cause I didn't know how to deal with it. Cause I'd never experienced, um, such an attack like that. Uh, and so I think in Toronto where your parent, your family is. Your yeah. My family's in Toronto. So I like, I immediately drove home, uh, and privately, like I was a mess. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, like, look at all this stuff that this story saying, um, they did a live podcast that day as well. And, and there was all these tweets about, um, how many hits they were getting on the website and they were really like like loving the attention that the website was getting on what was such like a personal attack for me um and obviously the support I was getting from it was really lovely too but I think publicly I just didn't say a word I didn't reply to a tweet I didn't reply to the account I blocked all the people that were involved um, a lot of people kept trying to tag me in discussion saying like, why are you like this? Or why did you take this approach? Like he didn't say anything about you being a woman. Um, but yeah, it was really hard, like to be frank, like privately, like I said, it was a really difficult time for me because I, I immediately felt like I'm going to be that girl. Now I'm going to be the girl that cried gender discrimination. And I'm going to be that girl from the Dean Blundell story that had like millions of hits. And I've never, I always want to be careful with this because I do think women's issues in media and all fields are important. Like I don't want to minimize that women are treated differently in these spaces, but that's not what I wanted to be known for. Like I wanted my work to stand alone. I wanted people to know my name because I was doing a good job covering the Ottawa senators, not because I was that girl from the Dean Blundell article. So it was really um, difficult because I didn't really know what to do. It was like, should I use my platform to say something about this, to use my platform to fight for, for women in sport, um, or should I just stay quiet? And I think I kind of took the latter route just because I knew anything that I said would just be taken and turned into another podcast and turned into another article and turned into another set of tweets. Um, and I really just didn't want to give any more like gas to the fire. And so I kind of just stayed offline, tried to block everyone, um, put my phone away for a couple of days. Um, and I think everyone deals with those kind of things differently. I think we see a lot of people respond and react to things on social media. And that's your right if you feel like you're being personally attacked. Um, but I've always kind of opted for the I'm not going to respond and give you any more attention route. And, it, and it's not easy. Um, when you go through journalism school, there isn't a class on how to react to be to, you know, they don't teach you. <laughs> how to deal with that kind of hatred and criticism. Um, it, nobody tells you <laughs> what it's like to be told that you're stupid or be told that you're doing things wrong or that 
you're basically trying to get attention by pretending like you've had it hard. And that was the, and again, I'm rambling here, so I apologize. I hope um, it's understandable. But I, <laughs> I think the hardest part was that the person who wrote this blog post and the women who joined in with him in the kind of podcast and the blog post of them saying, well, I've had it hard as a woman. Haley having this tweet telling her she sucks doesn't make it hard as a woman. And it was hard for me that it was like women attacking me. And it was hard for me because like these people don't know me and they don't know what I've been through in hockey and they don't know what I've been through in my life. And so it's like, sure, maybe you don't think that tweet had anything to do with my gender, but you also don't know anything about what got me from A to B and what I've endured through all that. Just because I don't post it on social media or talk about it on a podcast doesn't mean that I haven't had my challenges. And so that was one of the hardest things was having these people say that I was like giving women a bad rep and like, this is why, uh, you know, oh, you know, Haley should be using her platform to talk about real issues, not hers because she doesn't have any. And it was just, it's weird to see people talking about you when they don't know anything about you. Um, So my advice is always like, don't engage with these people. Um, But it's, it's really hard to stay quiet when you see what people are saying about you. (laughs) What what else has there been anything? And and by the way, I I just like it was that day. um, I'm sure I texted you and you heard from so many people, but like you, nobody can possibly have the words to other than to say they're sorry and they're with you Mm -hmm. you know there isn't you know there aren't the the words to because nobody can understand what you were going through then but what has changed uh since then so are the dms permanently off no you not read (laughs) comment sections you not re-replies like a year a year later over a year later uh what is anything changed in terms of uh, Mm -hmm. you know you've given great advice but just fundamentally have you uh made any decisions to cut that out or yeah definitely in the immediate aftermath i turned my dms off um i ended up turning them back on just because Sometimes there are, there's some weird stuff in your DM requests. Um, but sometimes there's young reporters, um, young women, people who want to reach out because they want to mentor or they want to ask your advice or they, they have questions about, Hey, I want to apply to Ryerson or, Hey, I want to become a journalist. Can you, can you help me? And so I turned them back on because I didn't want to just kind of completely shut myself off to potentially helping other people. I found that I've tried to protect myself a little more to the point where sometimes I I worry about being selfish, especially when it comes to using my platform. I've been so careful now that sometimes I feel like I haven't, you like it's not lost on me that I have a lot of followers on social media. Um, and I have a like a really bad internal debate with myself all the time on, should I say something about women's issues, LGBTQ issues, um, you know, uh, issues for, for, you know, minority media or minority hockey players. And I, and I think selfishly, I don't speak up on certain issues because I'm so aware of what happened last time I tried to say something about being a woman in hockey. And I'm kind of, I don't want to say afraid, but there's that anxiety of, another story being like, oh, here goes Haley Salvian again, um, crying, woe is me, or crying about this. Um, 
And I struggle with that because I think my mental health took a serious hit during that period of time. Again, publicly, I think I handled the situation um, prop like well. I, I didn't say anything. I didn't react at all publicly. But again, privately, it was a really, really difficult time for me. Um, like I'm not ashamed to say that I was really upset over it. Um, and it, and it, you know, I caught my my, my best friend uh, Jessica. I remember. I was messaging her. I, I texted her once and I, and I said, you know, you should hear the things that they're saying about me on this podcast or look at this tweet that this guy said. And, and, and she was like, what are you doing? Like, stop, like turn your phone. Why are you still reading this stuff? And it was like a week after it came out and I was still talking about it. And she's like, enough, you need to, you need to stop. And so I think mentally I took a huge hit with that situation. And so I've kind of been more quiet on things. And I sometimes regret being more quiet on, um, when certain things in, in the hockey world or in, in social media spaces happen. Um, but it's kind of like me prioritizing my mental health over using my platform. And I think that's something I'm constantly wrestling with is when do I use my voice and when do I just continue to protect that space? You need to prioritize <laughs> your mental health. You need to prioritize Hallie Salvian. Uh, what I will say to you is, and you happen to be uh, very young, you have a long career ahead of you, and the opportunity to say the other things that you want to say, Haley, the, there will be other times for that and other platforms and bigger stages. So uh, keep that in mind. Um, you, you will have that moment, so don't get caught up in it now. Um, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for uh, sharing what you uh, just did. I know it's going to help a lot of people who, who hear it. And we're going to take a short break and come right back with some more hockey questions for Haley Salvin of The Athletic. Hey, guys, it's producer Pat Boyle, and I want to tell you about Instat Hockey. Instat Hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Their work is trusted at every level of the game by coaches, scouts, players, and of course, members of the media like the people we spotlight each week on Press Pass. There's no better choice than Instat to help in the evaluation of games and individual players. The Instat Hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film as team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists including players' individual shifts. All video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. Chris has used the platform for years. He trusts it, and so have some of the head coaches he's worked with in the past. So I hope you check them out. And they were also the first to give Hockey Press Pass some love. So please visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. Again, visit instatsport.com hockey for more info. Back with Haley Salvin of The Athletic. Haley, uh, let's go back to the journalism and the process. I'm wondering if there is an article that like, you're particularly proud of. You mentioned one earlier that, that you're particularly proud of, of the process from beginning to end to publish, uh, because I'd like to just you know, go through what worked for you. Yeah, so it was a story that I did around the trade deadline on um, you know what life is actually like for these players. And it was about... Mark and Tara Borowiecki and um, hit, Mark was the def a defenseman with the Ottawa Senators. He was a pending unrestricted free agent, local player um, from the Ottawa area, drafted, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, just kind of an Ottawa guy. And he ended up being kind of a fan favorite in the city by the end of the year. 
Um, and, and because he's an unrestricted free agent, we all know that time of year is the, the rental players and it's the trade, it's the trade bait lists and top UFAs and, and who's going to be gone, who stays, who goes. And I think those are, you know, there's value in that. Um, like those are such a huge piece of, of what the trade deadlines become. And I think it's really uh, the trade deadlines kind of become this media driven thing. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to set out and do something that showed the human aspect of it because of what's lost in these trade lists is that these are people with uh, wives or kids, um, families on the way uh, who are about to have their lives picked up and moved. And, and we all hear it. It's a business and we all know that, but they're still human beings. Again, that's kind of a constant theme for me as I like to try to show the human side of things in hockey. Um, and so that story was um, really special for me just because of the fact that Mark and Tara were so open with what they were going through with the fact that they trusted me to tell such a personal story. Um, so Mark and Tara had tried to have kids for a long time and, and they, they had struggles with that and, and they ended up trying IVF um, and Tara ended up getting pregnant and she was, I think, set to, I think she would have been seven, eight months pregnant by the trade deadline. And so there's this like huge, um, hugely positive personal thing that's happening for Mark and Tara Borvietsky and that they're, they're finally having like their first child and they can start their family that they've always wanted. But then there's this anxiety that Mark could potentially be traded and, um, Tara can't travel. So is Mark going to miss the, the, the birth of his first born child? Uh, is he going to miss the first couple months because he's traded to a, a playoff team and he's going to be in the States or wherever playing, playing playoff hockey. So there was a ton of anxiety for Mark and Tara as a family. And, and we, we sat down at a coffee shop in Ottawa for probably about an hour and a half. And they just opened up about their, their journey and the struggle and the mental part of it. And, and they're just such a lovely couple and they're such good people. Um, and, and it's truly one of the favorite things that I've ever done again, just because of the way that the story turned out. Um, the fact that they, again, the fact that they trusted me was such a personal thing. Um, you know, it's not lost on me that that was a very personal thing to talk about. And they sat down with, with a journalist to, to, to write about their lives. Like that's not a comfortable thing for a lot of people. Um, so it was just really special. And, um, you know, you don't do stories for, for players and their wives to say thank you. Um, you know, you're, you're trying to be unbiased, but you're trying to tell good stories. And I just think it was such a good story and it was an important one because these are human beings at the end of the day. I know uh, you take a lot of pride in, in trying to help reporters and, and are committed to do the same for the, the people who come up uh, from behind you. I'm wondering if in your time on the beat, especially these last couple of years, Otto and, and Calgary, if there have been uh, journalists, sports, hockey, whatever, who've been particularly helpful to you. Katie Strang has been, um, I mean, she's such a superstar. Like I, I adore her so much. And, and I remember when I first started in the NHL path, she sent me like, and it was not, it wasn't a checklist, but she sent me this big document of just like, here are my tips and my like rules that I've set. And here's like things that you could do. And it was like this huge document and it was incredible. And, and a lot of the way that I approach my job is the way that Katie Strang approaches her job. And it's ask about their wives, like 
be a human being, talk to people, talk to the locker room attendants, talk to the trainers, talk to everybody, befriend the wives, befriend, like just, just talk to people and you never know what you're going to find and just be yourself and be a good person. Don't take any bullshit. Like people like Katie is just great. And then she was so huge for me. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I ever really talk about it because I know he doesn't reach out and do these things for the recognition, but Elliot Friedman has like quietly been a, a huge resource for me. Um, when I first joined the athletic and, and doing the sense beat, he, he reached out to me and just said like, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, the way that you've done this job to this point is the reason you're here. Don't change who you are. And that's always kind of stuck with me because I'll get advice from some people and say, maybe you could do this in your writing, or maybe you could add this. And it's like, you know what? I think I'm going to stick with what I, you know, you always want to adapt and evolve and add new things to your toolkit, but it's always kind of stuck with me that, that little piece of advice. It's you got to where you are because of the way that you do your job. So don't change it. Like don't change who you are just because you're here now. Um, because that's, what's made you successful. And, and Elliot, um, reached out to me a lot through that Dean Blendell stuff. Like he was again, quietly, um, such a good resource. Um, Jeff Merrick is, is incredible as well. He's always been, um, always been so helpful. Um, there's so many people at the athletic who've been helpful. Um, again, Sean Fitzgerald, I, I credit him for being so bullish to James Myrtle for bringing me on board. Um, Myrtle's been great too. Um, my editors are always incredible. Um, my editor, Aaron is, is awesome. Like he has always been there to help me with my, with my writing, with anything like personal professional that I've been going through. Um, see, this is, I feel like you should start playing that like music at the Oscars when it's like, okay, like enough asking people That's like okay. talking and thanking people. It's just, uh, you know, like I said before, I'm so uncomfortable with, um, compliments. Uh, and I think part of it is because I feel like there's been so many people who have helped me get to this point that sometimes I feel like, yeah, it's not just me, like I'm okay, but like, look at the support system that I've had that have got me here. Um, so Ian Mendez is awesome too. He's my, uh, he's my podcast co-host at the athletic and, and we, you know, obviously started working together in Ottawa and, um, he was always great. Like, cause he knew I was alone in Ottawa. I moved there by myself and my family and, and everyone close to me was back in Toronto and, you know, I was alone on Thanksgiving. So like he came and brought me Turkey or little things like that, you know, inviting me over for dinner. Um, you know, him and his wife and his daughters like brought over food and stuff like that. Um, so just personally and professionally Ian Mendez is, is really great as well. My last question is, uh, you, you, uh, I know you love what you do and, uh, but do you, do you either, whether it was when you were at Ryerson or now, is there an ultimate goal as a, uh, as a journalist for you in mm -hmm. your career? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, um, if you would have asked me that before I got into the industry, I would have my original dream job was to like be Aaron Andrews. I always wanted to, to be a sideline reporter for like the Sunday NFL countdown specifically. Like that was the dream. Cause I just, you know, I woke up and that's all we did on Sundays and Sundays and Mondays and like uh, football was, and still is a huge part of, of um, my kind of sport life. I don't know. I, it's all I do is watch football, even though I'm terrible at fantasy. So 
I think if you would have asked a young Haley, I would have said um, Sunday NFL countdown or like hockey night in Canada. Cause like, that's what I grew up watching was Aaron Andrews and Christine Simpson. So that was kind of the dream for me then. Um, and even in university, I think I still always wanted to do broadcasting, which is why I ended up at CBC and ended up doing TV, but asking me right now, I really don't know what the ultimate goal is anymore because I'm just, um, really enjoying the place that I'm in. I think TV is always kind of an option. Um, I've done some stuff for TSN on the side and I do a lot of radio stuff. And I think broadcast has always kind of been the, the end goal for me, but I've got to say like being at the athletic and being able to tell the, the Mark Borbietsky type stories and getting to take the time to really dive into, um, important pieces or just kind of nerding out into the salary cap or doing data analysis. Like there's not a lot of places that allow you, um, the time and space for those kind of pieces. So I don't know if there's like an ultimate goal for me anymore. I think I'm just really enjoying the place that I'm in right now. And, uh, everything that the athletic is allowing me to do with, with my current coverage at the, with the Calgary flames and, and still, um, having women's hockey as a, as a piece of, of what I do is, is important to me too. And, and it's important to the company. Like they've always said, you know, when I got Ottawa and when I got Calgary, like, like, yes, absolutely. We still want you doing women's hockey stuff. Obviously it's a little hard to do both beats, um, really well, and I mean, with what women's hockey is like, it's almost like two beats in and of itself. Um, At least. Time for another story for another time, I guess. But <laughs> um, and, and obviously doing the podcast and stuff too. So ultimate goal is kind of hard for me to answer right now because I think the goals and the, the aspirations that I've had have kind of been constantly evolving with what I'm doing and with what um, media is evolving into as well. So I think if I had to say an ultimate goal, like I just, I see myself as doing multimedia um, at some point in my career. Um, but again, I'm enjoying being on a beat. I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing right now. So uh, I don't know, thinking too far ahead. It's hard because I don't know what the media industry is going to be like five, two years down the road. So try not to look too far ahead because then I'll just get anxiety about it. I completely (laughs) understand. There's no reason for you to commit at this point as to what the the ultimate goal is. Uh, What's most important is that you're doing incredible work now uh, and you're, you're leading and, and honestly you're being a role model for other writers who, uh, and and up and comers too, who see uh, how you are and your grace and your kindness too. And, and, And just like the people you mentioned, like Katie and Elliot, who I did not surprise me or Ian Mendez who he's almost like the Tom Hanks of hockey like nobody's got anything bad to say about that darn guy except for Uh, his stupid puns his stupid stupid dad puns thankfully I don't have to deal with that so um so I uh, I appreciate all the time I really appreciate the the candor on on the difficult subjects and uh I appreciate your work thank you so much Haley Yeah, well, thank you for having me and uh, thanks for doing the research. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you. I appreciate being a part of it. All right. This is producer Pat Boyle, of course, with Chris Botta, and it is fan inbox time. And today's question comes from Andre Legault from L'Assumption in Montreal, Quebec. And Chris, he says, thanks for starting this podcast. There's so many questions I can ask you, but I'll start with this. Was there a first moment when you started to wonder that John Spano 
may not have been the rich guy he convinced the NHL he was when he was buying the Islanders in the mid-90s. Uh, well, for starters, Pat, uh, thanks for your work on, on the show today, and thank you to Andre, who's been a great fan uh, for a long time of the Islanders. We appreciate the question. Look, everybody has their moment, and, and we should say that this is John Spano. For those who don't know, check out the 30 for 30 podcast. Kevin Connolly, the actor, did a fantastic uh, piece he directed for 30 for 30 called Big Shot on the ownership of John Spano. In sum, a man bought a team, bought the New York Islanders, and didn't have any money. So the question is, was did I have a moment where I started to wonder that, you know, maybe not all is what it's cracked up to be here with Mr. Spano. And the story that I tell for mine, it's a little thing. Everybody, I think, had their aha moment. But for me, we had a 25th anniversary game. The Islanders played the Panthers. Uh, all the legends came back. John Spano was there. He His deal wasn't done, but he basically was running the team. And Around the time of the end of the game, he came up to a colleague in my, of mine and me and said, hey, I got a question for you. Uh, where's the visiting team Lee? Like, where do they walk by? And we said, oh, right by this hallway at the Coliseum, you know, right past the Islander locker room and over to the bus. And he said, okay, good. And so my colleague said, John, is there something we could help you out with? Well, you know, what do you need? And he had in his hand two pucks. And he also had a Sharpie. And he said, well, I promised a friend of mine that I'd get his son two autographs, from, uh, get an autograph puck or pucks from John Van Beesbrook. At the time, Beezer was the goalie for the Panthers who we had played that night. And I said, John, look, you know, you're the owner of the team. Now, keep in mind, folks, this is a guy who was worth supposedly a quarter of a billion dollars at least and was buying a team for around that, you know. You don't need to be waiting for, I said it nicer than that, but you don't need to be waiting for John Van Beesbrook to come down the hallway. I'll do right. it. I'll ask somebody to do it, right? You can picture this. And he said, no, I got it. And uh, my colleague and I, again, right, this is a little thing. Other people will tell you he didn't pick up lunch. Other people will tell you, well, he was supposed to give me $100,000 and he never paid me, right? I get it. But but when we saw that, and we were like, this semi-billionaire who's buying our team thinks that he should just wait, you know, and by the way, Bossy's walking by, Gillies, all the legends are walking by, and he's not even focused on them. He's waiting to give this autograph. Well, it's a little thing, but that was the moment where my colleague and I looked at each other, and they said, we said, you know, that is, there's just something doesn't add up yeah. here. And listen, we didn't go run to Gary Bettman. We didn't go say this the guy doesn't have any money. We weren't thinking that far, but what we were thinking is that something is strange and it proceeded to just get stranger and stranger for weeks and months to come. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as a PR person, you know, how exactly did you and your colleagues handle the whole Spano situation? I mean, it, it ends with him going to jail for fraud. Yeah, this is a this is a you know a one in a million case where there isn't anything to spin, right? You know, does he have money? We're gonna find out. Does he have money? Does he make us? You know, does he make the payment? So this was handled by the NHL. This was handled by the banks, by the Islanders' owners at the time, by the chief financial officer and lawyers. The only thing you can do, and my colleague who I referred to, uh, the only thing that we could try to do is, you know, keep our sense of humor, 
through this months-long process uh, when he's, you know, uh, telling Mike Milbury to step aside as uh, coach and be general manager, and he's he's firing people, and he's, you know, talking, he's, ta- he's doing a lot of interviews, making a lot of promises. We could just try to keep our integrity, keep our credibility, and not lie. Like, I don't think, you know, once moments like that happen with the Van Beesbrook autograph pucks, I think we were more cautious, like we weren't going around saying to the media off the record, like, this guy's the savior, and wait till he owns this team. We that, we probably were in the beginning, I'm sure yeah. we were in the beginning, but as you can understand, once like we had that moment, and then there were other moments after that, where like he's asking about, you know, he wants to buy concert tickets, and, and, and where does he get them, and things like that, that we were then, okay, let's be cautious and let's see what's up with this guy. So this isn't one of the question and answer sessions of the Press Pass podcast where I have a lot of words of wisdom. It's more of a fun, interesting <laughs> story. Please check out Kevin Connolly's awesome 30 for 30. Should have won awards for it. Um, that tells the tale. Uh, what I would say in this case, though, when, when things are that crazy, all you really have is your credibility, your integrity, your mil- humility, and a sense of humor, and you just try to write it out. And we wrote it out. He he was arrested in Nassau County, and you know we were told to not even go there. Just the, the page was turned, and we went on to the next owners. Yeah, that that yellow light on the traffic light flashed real quick after the uh, after the autograph puck situation, yes, huh? Yes, very much so, Pat. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Hockey Press Pass. Please consider rating us and subscribing at Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Email us anytime at presspasspodcast at gmail.com with requests for guests, questions, advice, or anything else. Big thanks again to Hallie Salvian, executive producer Danny Ryland Carney, marketing director Sally Kinsman, and friends and advisors Angela Alfano and Molly Dreska. And most of all, Our gratitude goes out to the fans and listeners for giving us a shot. And again, for Chris Botta, I'm Pat Boyle saying thank you guys so much for listening. 